I think staying open-minded and remaining curious, that helps understand, okay, what is the question or the problem behind the request? Trying to get to a deeper understanding of, okay, why is this being asked? Why are we discussing this? And really trying to understand the underlying driver. Why are we doing this? And then having the freedom and the ability to come up with the best solution. The easy way is to say you agree, right? Because then, I mean, everybody's happy. Oh, I agree, no problem, and let's go on. And I think you need to find a balance between disagreeing all the time that, that's not very fruitful, I would say. Even if that's the case, I would not do that. But you definitely also need to provide pushback in case somebody suggests something as your manager that you don't agree to. This is Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast. Here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing. Stop guessing. If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your full potential, then this show is for you. I'm Danny Wasserman, coming to you from the Gong Studios. Howdy, howdy, howdy. It is Wasp Boss Sauce, Danny, the Rev of Revenue Intelligence Wasserman, back in the Gong Studios today, coming to you for what I think is going to be the second ever duet. But this time, a duet from overseas, yes, coming to you from across the Atlantic in Europe. Today, we have the dynamic duo, the titans of food delivery. Yes, we have Imad Katab, who is the general manager of Just Eat Takeaway for business over in Europe, joined by his compadre, his Sancho Panza to his Don Quixote, Richard DeVere, the head of revenue operations in the same business. If you're like, Just Eat Takeaway, what is that? You likely don't know them as well if you're a North American listener because they operate under the auspices of Grubhub domestically, but overseas under a variety of titles. These duo both, oddly enough, coming into the world of go-to-market leadership with marketing backgrounds are going to unpack how you take a business model that is traditionally B2C and pivot it in spite of the internal and external challenges into becoming B2B. Along the way, they're going to talk about what is it in that dance step that they've mastered that allows them to effectively execute their leadership paradigm. Spoiler alert, truth-telling. Honesty, not being a blind, sycophantic yes man or woman, but having the audacity to boldly tell whether it's your boss or anyone else in the organization when you disagree. So with that said, enough from the Rev. Let's go straight to the practice of truth-telling with I'm Akitab and Richard DeVere. DJ, spin that. Welcome, Richard. Welcome, IMAD, to the Gong Studios. We're thrilled to have you. Thank you, Nice to be here. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for having us. Excited oh, my goodness. So, again, as I alluded to before, Imad, you've spent, I want to say, it's nearly 14 years at Just Eat and classically trained more as a marketer. Now you sit at the helm of bringing Just Eat's value prop to businesses. It's such a unique pedigree. So I'd love to hear a little bit to start. What have you been able to bring with you from marketing that now has served you well as the business leader for this new endeavor? Yeah, thanks. You know, I actually, I started in sales when I was a student. So when I started, uh, the company had about, I think, 2012 members. Okay. Currently, I believe we're around 15,000. I did that for about a year. And then actually, we started the marketing department because we didn't have one. I think I have, uh, let's say, a natural interest in making customers happy and do anything to try and, let's say, fulfill their needs in a profitable way. I think that is not so different between B2B and B2C. So in that sense, I feel 
we just focus at the end end user. Only the way how to do that is quite different, I would say. Well, and I want to pivot to Richard because you two share that interesting background coming. Richard, you also fell into RevOps having previously served roles that were in marketing. Tell us a little bit about that journey and how does that lend itself to a natural chemistry that you and I, Matt, have because you both have these marketing backgrounds? Or again, I'll shut up because I want to hear more from you. Well, thank you for the question. Like for the past 20 years, I've been working predominantly in the internet space, in marketplaces, where mostly I've been working in a marketing capacity, be it in B2C or in B2B. And especially in the roles where I had a B2B marketing capacity, I was working very closely with sales teams and sales operations team, giving me that exposure to what's happening outside of the marketing world and what drives a business. Having that exposure to that part of the business piqued my interest in making that move to revenue operations and having that full end-to-end view on a customer journey and having impact on the end business results. In the experiences that you both had separately as, again, previous marketers, now you're coming together to take a model, as we've alluded to, which is traditionally focused and been successful, wildly successful at the consumer. Walk us through the journey about how either you were shoulder tapped or asked to do this, or did you go to the powers that be at Just Eat and say, we need to expand. There's only so much consumer demand that we can win before cannibalization and we'll say commoditization from the likes of Deliveroo or Uber Eats or whoever sort of chips away at our position. How did you guys really start blazing this trail into the B2B space, having previously been so successful at B2C. Yeah, I think it was fueled by the fact that in 2018, we acquired the company in Israel, Tendit, that originally was founded as a B2B company. And when the board decided to acquire the company, they saw some really interesting figures that led to their decision to actually acquire the company, which was very high order rates, for example. So it's a complete different setup from B2C, where people generally order in the weekend or at night, like say once a week or a bit more often. But in a business setting where the company actually pays for the food, users tend to order a lot more. So let's say the order frequency is a lot higher. And that I think was something that was new to us as a B2C company. That was the first step. But then secondly, two years later, we merged with Just Eat, which was mainly active in the UK. And even later, when we merged or we acquired the Grubhub, they also had a B2B acquisition a few years before, which was seamless. So let's say, although we were a B2C-driven company, due to the fact that we acquired a few B2B-focused companies, made us realize this is something we need to roll out to all our territories. And when it comes to fighting the brand recognition you had previously achieved in the B2C space, when people think Just Eat or when they think Seamless or they think Grubhub, you know, that's a consumer business. And now both of you in different roles, but nonetheless with your marketing backgrounds are trying to maybe not completely reinvent Just Eat's brand, but expand it, augment it. Talk us through sort of the internal battles, if there were any, to try and, again, secure the resources and the momentum for you to be both. I'd love to hear, Richard, if you had any internal challenges with that. And then back to you, Imad, let's hear what were some of the challenges in actually getting businesses to reinterpret or reimagine what Just Eat could provide them. So, Richard, anything internal that introduced friction along the way? 
I think, I think in the B2B space, you deal with more complex deal cycles, um, okay. where people are involved in a deal and it's less direct responsive as it typically is on the B2C side of things. So the way you operate, as I had alluded to in the intro, how you operate in a market is different yeah. than in B2C. So convincing all of our stakeholders, be it marketing, be it how we set up a sales operation, required some evangelization on, okay, for B2B, it actually requires more touch points. It requires more content. It's less mm. direct responsive as it typically is on the B2C side. Mm. So that made us also having to have internal discussions on, okay, what is the right marketing strategy moving forward? What is the role of marketing? What is the role of sales? And what, how do we need to equip our sales teams to be most effective and efficient in their job, given the complexity that typically happens when closing deals or when it comes to jet pay, given the high stakes that it brings, because it's a big commitment from a company to give an allowance to their employees. And it's also an investment that they need to make. So there's much more conversations needed to, in the end, bring the deal across the finish line. I'm just thinking about, I mean, the allowance that you're given and I'm at to your point as someone who is the beneficiary of a daily allowance from my employer, I spend the money so differently when it's again, an expense with business versus when it's my own money. So Richard, we'll come back to, were there from the RevOps standpoint, were there things you could recycle that you had, again, already created, architected for B2C? But before we come back to you, Richard, I'm at, tell us a little bit about what were the points of friction, the tension, even just sort of the battle to get the business externally outside the four walls of just eat to sort of take your phone calls. Yeah, I think the, the first example that comes to mind is uh, the discussion about the actual uh, brand name. And it would have made sense to introduce, let, let's say, a, a global name. We currently operate on their mostly local okay. brand names and domain names. So first we thought, okay, maybe it's logical to position this as a global uh, program. But in the end, like after some iterations, we decided to keep the local brand name and ads for business should also have been at work or whatever for corporate accounts. And I think secondly, some challenges we faced, we, we initially started as a, as a B2C company that basically added any restaurant that delivered themselves. It was 20 years ago when uh, there were no delivery services available for restaurants at that point in time. And let's say coincidentally, there were mainly pizza chains and kebab shops. That was not yeah. something that our founder per se preferred. It was just the fact that they delivered themselves and we just offered a marketplace model where we connected the end consumer to the restaurant. And as a downside, because we started like the first, I don't know, 18 years focused on more fast food kind of restaurant, yeah. that image still sticks sometimes a bit. Although we now have our own delivery service, we can basically deliver any kind of food from pizza, but also to salads and sushi. That sometimes is a challenge when you want to convince a uh, employer that they need to give a food allowance for, let's say, daily usage. Yeah. So that, that's something we worked on in our messaging. And additionally, we introduced a payment card that you can basically use anywhere in the world at any restaurant to also expand our choice in that area. So it's not only limited to the restaurants on our platform, but additionally, you have a, a payment card from, in this case, MasterCard that, is, that can be used at any restaurant to also counter those arguments and discussions we have with corporate. And knowing 
the leaps that you took to get this off the ground. It does not sound like it was a totally straightforward, oh, obvious layup. I'm wondering, Richard, from your standpoint, you get from leadership, we're doing this, it's a bold, it's a daring move. What from the pre-existing playbook of B2C just eat, what could you recycle and bring with you versus what was just completely thrown out the window and you had to start from zero? I think it was mostly building upon existing playbooks. So for example, the sales process as it has been used on the restaurant side of things was something that we could further build on and make iterations to make it more uh, bespoke for our okay. side of the business and to make it more fitting with our situation. Yeah. The same goes for the incentive plan, like understanding, okay, how do we incentivize our salespeople on the restaurant side of the business? And what can, what pages can we copy or can we leverage to incentivize our people on the B2B side of things to achieve results and drive performance? And I think a third element that we leveraged was the so-called KPI hierarchy, because in the end, all of the results that we have as a B2B business roll up at a group level. So okay. understanding, okay, what at a group level is important? What are the underlying drivers and how do we then define as a B2B department, what our KPIs are and how they contribute to overall group success was something that we further built upon to make sure that everybody has a common understanding of, okay, which KPIs matter and how are they interconnected to one another, not only at a department level, but also how they roll up at a group level. Amazing. So I want to shift gears because now we've seen just what it took for you to make the strategic pivot out of B2C into B2B. We've got a duet of the two of you in the studio today. So here we've got the general manager and we've got his trusted lieutenant, the guy that's keeping all of, again, the operational workflows of the business tight and right. And in the past, I'm Matt and Richard, we've brought in sales leaders separately from revenue operations leaders. And inevitably, there in the world of business can be tension between various business units. And the two of you, because again, you've worked together, you have maybe a shared marketing pedigree and background, for one reason or another, you guys seem really simpatico, that you just seem to groove really well together. And I'm wondering what, and we'll start with Iman and then Richard, we'd love to hear from you. What would you say are the underpinnings or the cornerstones to the successful dynamic that exists between the business or an executive and revenue operations, because we've definitely heard on numerous occasions that there can be friction that, oh my God, the business has no idea what it's going to take to do this. And oh my God, revenue operations, you're just these gatekeepers that slow everything down. I don't get any shred of that from the two of you. So I'm at to start, what would you say helps make your relationship and partnership with Richard and RevOps so fluid and successful. Yeah, I, I think first of all, Richard brings loads of experience, like he worked at PayPal and eBay and LinkedIn. Yeah. So, I mean, I have quite a broad perspective on our own company because I've been in a lot of roles. I know a lot of people. I know how things actually developed into the situation they are in now, but I don't bring a lot of external knowledge and I didn't see things going wrong in other settings or in other teams as much as Richard does. So I think when he gives me feedback and he does that, well, a lot, but not too much, so to say, <laughs> then it really helped me to also get that outside view into our company. That is, that is very helpful. And as long as you're doing things with the best interest, but then I think that will work for the both parties, so to say. Secondly, I think we're a very entrepreneurial company. It's still founder left. So if there's a good idea, whoever that has, if it's Richard or me, we can basically do that uh, tomorrow. 
that is very exciting, but also sometimes a bit dangerous because I'm also quite entrepreneurial, like new things, innovation, and tend to jump on all kinds of things. So you already referred to that a bit, but then Richard challenges me and also, well, challenged me in the actual feasibility of things. So I think that that really balanced, it's really balanced approach. Otherwise I would jump on a lot more things than probably is good for department, so to say. Well, that's a great answer, Richard. I want to hear from you. And then we'll, we'll double click into one of those things that you said momentarily, I meant, but Richard, why do you think you guys have such an effective, fruitful partnership? Well, I think, I think one of the things that Ahmed said in his intro is, is that he wants customers to be happy. And I think being both from a marketing background, we have that customer centricity at heart. So we always take that in mind when, when thinking about new initiatives. So that definitely helps. I think Ahmed, with his experience building JustyTakeaway.com from a relatively small startup to the company that it is today, uh, and me having worked at companies that have also experienced hyper growth, we know what it takes uh, to go through those stages and what is required to keep growing, as well as we also both know that in such stages, you have to deal with ambiguity. You will not know all the answers, but having that mindset of let's figure it out and, and let's find a way to get it done and, and to find solutions, that really helps that we're in that sense aligned on that one. And I think thirdly, not only the company is very entrepreneurial, I think I met as a person is very entrepreneurial. I have an entrepreneurial inclination of doing things. And that also helps building up and helping grow a new business because we're basically building, have built the department to what it is today from zero to what it is now. As we look at go-to-market leadership, a marketing background might be the missing piece to the puzzle that could end up actually boosting business. Both go-to-market and marketing focus on key areas such as product positioning, messaging, brand consistency, but more specifically, the customer experience. Yes, looking at a statistic from Forbes, you ready for this? 73% of businesses who prioritize customer experience have significantly better financial performance. This means, as a go-to-market leader, having that unconventional background in marketing will allow you to better understand your customers and, by extension, create an experience that will accelerate your revenue. Back to Richard and IMAD to hear a little bit more about how their respective pedigrees in marketing have served the interests of their company. Both of you talk about this entrepreneurial bone in your body, this spirit to try new things, and certainly during hyper-growth and the space you're in, you must be bold must be daring and audacious. And one of the things I'm at, you said is, you know, you may have a lot more ideas, but periodically Richard challenges you and brings you back down to earth and gives you a feasibility check. And Richard, I'm wondering when you say I'm at, you're crazy, dude. I don't know like what world you're living in. That can't be done. Pushing back on your friend, on your boss, on your colleague, whoever, a parent, a child, whatever. Like that inevitably introduces some tension. And I'm wondering, it sounds like you guys just have such shared mutual respect for one another. But Richard, when IMAD wants to push the boundaries and you say, no, man, like that ain't happening. How does that go down in a constructive way as opposed to we've seen in other partnerships when someone pushes back or resists, that can actually be destructive. It doesn't seem like that's the case with the two of you. How do you navigate that rapport? Well, I think, I think in the end, it, it boils down to the, to the merit of the ID, like what Ayman was saying, that any ID can come from anywhere as long yeah. as it's a good ID. So trying to judge the ID on, okay, what is the impact 
that it will have, the expected impact, and what is the level of effort, and how does it fit across the portfolio of initiatives that we're taking. And having that open and, and constructive conversation, as well as trying to find as many data points that we can to justify or validate the hypothesis, makes the conversation a very constructive one. And if then in the end, we decide to go either one way or the other, and then taking a more a trial and error approach where we pilot the particular hypothesis and then either prove or disprove uh, uh, it will actually help also with future discussions or to say, okay, this initiative has either worked and has exceeded our expectations or it hasn't fully lived up to the expectations of what success was expected to be of this initiative. And that helps having, yeah, constructive conversations and open conversations on an on initiative at hand, but also initiative as they come in future conversations. Has there ever been a time, IMAD, where you had this idea, it was burning inside of you and Richard's like, hey, with all due respect, IMAD, I don't know. And you're like, I know in my bones, Richard, we're doing this and we're doing this. Has there ever been a time where even at the discretion or the counsel of Richard, you still went forward with the idea? Yeah, I think that it was one example, maybe not the best, but where we actually, I wanted to do a drone test, I think. I also knew that it wouldn't change the world directly. It actually took quite a lot of effort to get the drone test done. But yeah, they warned me for like, okay, what is the real effect of this? And I sort of tried to ignore that a bit and did it anyway. <laughs> yeah, but um, it was overseeable. So we lost some time there. It was nice, but it wasn't very fruitful in the end so far. Although I still believe in drone delivery, but probably it, it needs another year, two years to really okay. develop. And it got would, us some nice PR and great learning. So <laughs> in the end, yeah, it did it give us something. When I received my first drone delivery in the United States from Grubhub, I know who to thank. So good to know that you guys were at the forefront of this endeavor. Well, I would say that in thinking about just how for our listeners out there, because we've got other listeners who are in similar roles to you, I'm at. Richard, we have other listeners who are squarely within the revenue operations capacity. Any advice that you would give for those listeners, how to best partner, knowing what you know now about one another? We'll start with you, Richard. I think staying open-minded and remaining curious, that helps understand, okay, what is the question or the problem behind the request? trying to get to a deeper understanding of, okay, why is this being asked? Why are we discussing this? And really trying to understand the underlying driver of it will help you understand, okay, why are we doing this? And then having the freedom and the ability to come up with the best solution. But I would say to have a fruitful relationship with anybody inside a business context is to remain open, asking questions and remaining curious to really seek understanding and, and try to understand Okay, what is it that we're trying to achieve and how are we going to measure the success of it? Amazing. I'm at advice you'd give. I think that we're indeed like, I'm quite open to Richard sharing my ideas, but that's a bit also what Richard said. And he's quite open to also share when he doesn't agree. And sometimes I would say in manager team member relationships, and if that's me with Richard or Richard with his team or me with the CEO, for example, the easy way is to say you agree, right? Because then, I mean, yeah. everybody's happy. Oh, I agree. No problem. And let's go on. And I think you need to find a balance between disagreeing all the time. That That's not very fruitful, I would say. Even if that's the case, I would not do that. But you definitely also need to provide pushback in case somebody 
suggest something as your manager that that you don't agree to. And and I remember when when my CEO told me once, like, I don't like, I don't know the English word, but the people always say yes. In Dutch, we call them jaakmakers. That that's not. I can learn anything from that, and I I always remembered when he said that. Like, okay, actually, by nature, I'm quite open, and if I don't agree, even with the CEO, I will tell him. He he probably won't listen, but I will tell him anyway, because I feel that is how I want to operate, so to say. But I mean, I, I can imagine that sometimes you you don't want to share certain things because you maybe are afraid of how your manager will react. But I think in the end, it's always easier to just share it, try and obviously keep a friendly tone, but it makes life a lot easier if you just share what you think, then you don't have to think about your words like a week later, okay, did I, what did I share that? So that there will be, it's a bit of a, a long version of telling a bit the same what Richard said, but also be, find a balance between the two, I would say. It's just the reference or the nod to the courage it takes the courage it takes to say your piece, speak your mind. And also I would say then the courage to disagree. My boss said it once. He said, Danny, I want to surround myself with truth tellers. And I think that quality of being a truth teller at the possible risk or fear of, you know, hurting someone's feelings, if it's all understood from the intention of being constructive, then I think that that trust continues to engender more creativity, more entrepreneurial, explosive breakthrough decisions. But if you don't have that trust and you presume destructive intent, then of course, right, it will never take off. So really appreciate both of your perspectives. And I hope for everyone listening on this episode, you do the work with the people that work for you or the people that you work for or that you work alongside to maintain that level of candor, honesty, and trust. Really great way to tie up this episode. Well, Richard and Imad, I can't thank you enough for being so generous with your time, your perspective as a very successful winning duet over at Just Eat. But if you have listened to the episode, you know that we close out every single episode with the same question. So I'll ask each of you the same question, which is this. If you could describe sales in just one word, what would it be? So Richard, we'll have you start and then IMAD will go to you. Sales in one word. Two words, keep going. Hyphenated, perfect. What do you mean by keep going? Well, they tend to never give up. Like this, you need many no's to get the yes and having that thick skin and that tenacity to get the deal done. That's something that I find very typical and admirable from yeah. my sales colleagues. So I would summarize it with two words, uh, keep going as the most descriptive words that I can find at this point. Um, amazing. Perfect. I'm at over to you. I, I would say energy. And why is that? Because what I, what I see, and, and we, we obviously work with a lot of salespeople that they always feel the energy to go on and that know where Richard was referring to even fuels that energy. And I think that is something that I really like with work with people that are field minded, so to say. Amazing. When. Both of you were talking about energy and keep going. So Nike slogan, just do it. Great slogan through hook or crook, above, around, below, underneath, whatever, just do it. And there was this really short-lived but incredibly memorable lasting advertisement that Nike ran specifically for their running division. 
And it was just montages of people sprinting or running marathons, suffering. And then at the end, rather than saying, just do it, their slogan for that division was keep running. And I don't know, it's just something about both of your phrases just remind me, yeah, it is a slog. And at times it is suffering. And in those moments of adversity, it's really hard to find the will and the strength to keep your faith. And I'm reminded of one of our other guests that we've brought on this, I don't know, sort of guest. His name is Guy Ross and he hosts his own podcast. He gets to interview business leaders from all over, typically CEOs and founders of very successful companies. And we asked of everyone that Guy interviews, who makes the best business leaders, who are the most successful, winning at all costs, sort of, we'll say champions within the realm of business. And he said, executives or CEOs or founders who have sold have exactly what the two of you just described. They have the ability to hear no 99 times and with their perseverance, their grit, their resilience, they get back up every time. If you don't have that thick skin, if you don't have that endurance, then this may not be, not to say this isn't for you, because I think there's a lot of roles within business that are for them, but that is a quality that is a very effective predeterminant to success. So I know that was a long-winded way for me to tie it all together, but I love both of your answers. I love hearing a little bit about how Just Eat has pivoted into what I suspect is a wildly successful division. And as someone who has benefited from the consumer side of Grubhub, Thank you both very much for the work you provide as a consumer. And I hope to see a meal delivered to a business near you. Closing us out from the Gong Studios in San Francisco today, joined by Imad Katab, the general manager of Jesse Takeaway for Business over in Europe, with his very trusted partner in crime, Richard DeVere, head of Redwood Operations. Gentlemen, thanks so much for coming to Reveal. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Reveal. If you want more resources on how revenue intelligence can help you create high-performing sales teams, head on over to gong.io. And if you like what you heard, give us that five-star review. Come on. Whether you listen to it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other place you may listen.